Hey, what's up? This is Will with Collective Soul. You're listening to my weekly mixtape with Brian Colburn. Yes, you record it, you mix it, you listen to it, and then you rock, my friends. Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. One of the things I'm excited to do each week is speak with some of the incredible artists whose music has been featured on countless mixtapes and playlists of mine. And one of those artists just so happens to be my guest this evening. And that would be the amazing bass player for Collective Soul, Will Turpin. Will, thank you so much for joining me on My Weekly Mixtape. The amazing, huh? <laughs> oh, hell yeah, man. Well, thanks, man. Uh, appreciate it, man. As always, glad to talk to you again. Yeah, we, we had a chance several years ago to talk on my old Tune Styles podcast. I'm so glad to have you back. I'd like to start this show with the question I ask every single guest of mine, and that is, Will, what does the word mixtape mean to you personally? Yeah, I mean, heck, I grew up in the 80s, man. Yeah. So mixtape is, uh, you know, you lost a little fidelity. But you were able to listen to the radio and go over to the cassette and hit record and play at the same time. And uh, you could record a song from the radio. And then you, I would kind of wait and try to just, you know, you couldn't mix and match. You couldn't drop, you know, change your order like you can now with all the digital files. But you would just make a mixtape while you're listening to the radio in your house. That's what we would do. And then I'd write, right, I'd, I'd call the mixtape a name and... uh and and we'd listen to them in our car. You'd lose just a little bit of fidelity, but nobody was really, eh. you know. I was collecting cassettes, obviously, and albums. And then right there, you know, I guess it would have been like right around 87, we started buying CDs, right? Maybe 86, 87, we started buying CDs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But before CDs, yeah, man, you would sit there and listen on the radio and just be like, especially if it was that song that wasn't quite the popular song, but you wanted, you know, you'd have to sit around and run over to the, <laughs> it record a lot of times you'd miss the first four or five seconds you know but that's what a mixtape was to me and that's the beauty of it and the time and effort being put into mixtapes is what i'm trying to bring back with this show because when people make a playlist they just drag songs into a playlist in no shape or order and hit shuffle and you kind of lose that moment in time and that effort that goes into actually crafting something that you want to share with somebody else. Yeah. There was an order that you had to be aware of. There was no shuffle and there was no way to change the order. Once it was done, it was done. Yeah. You locked it in. So since this show is centered around the art of curating mixtapes, I've spent the last week putting together a songs of collective soul playlist to tie into our discussion this evening. Now, these are songs that I both resonate with as a fan, as well as feel are important in telling the story of collective soul to someone who may have not heard it before, even though everybody has heard collective soul before. The first song I'd like to talk about is one that I've already spoken about on this show several weeks back, and it would be from our Songs of 1993 episode, as this track is celebrating its, I can't even believe I'm saying this, 30th anniversary in 2023, and that would be the song Shine from 1993's Hints, Allegations, and Things Left Unsaid. Now, I am using the original Rising Storm Records release of the album, not the 94 yeah. Atlantic Records re-release that yeah. most will be familiar with. Yeah, 
It was it was on the uh, independent label in '93, but everybody associates really that song with '94. But yeah, but you're correct. Keep going, keep going. All right. Yeah. Now this is the song that everybody knows from Collective Soul was essentially your demo that just happened to take off. Can you talk about how that all unfolded? Yeah, you can. Uh, and we've had to go back and listen to it a, a decent amount recently. But uh, Collective Soul was a band, and Ed, but. I tell everybody that, uh, you know, Ed was, he was 28, 29, and he was like, man, maybe, maybe being lead singer of the band isn't necessarily where I need to put all of my eggs. So he was going to focus on songwriting and seeing if somebody would record one of his songs. Um, so Shine is an example off of Henson Allegations where you can tell there's program drums, there's real guitars, but it's not necessarily a band effort you know it's obviously the guitar solos epic in there but ed was putting those songs together for a songwriter demo to show to other people to say hey i'm a songwriter i can i get a publishing deal or, or would somebody else like to maybe re-record some of my songs well we put a lot of those songs on a record for release also and it was kind of i mean now that i think about it i wouldn't say last ditch effort but it was like okay well let's also make a band make it a band record and see what happens and and shine just kind of started with the independent release uh it started on college radio in atlanta and next thing you know a commercial station in orlando is picking it up steve robertson at wjrr and by february late february of 94 atlantic records is flying me and ed to new york and we're talking to Atlantic Records and doing interviews, and and they stamped Atlantic Records on on hints and allegations. And '94, you couldn't get Sean off the radio, and uh, we came away with Rock Song of the Year, well deserved, and a song that is beloved by generations because Dolly Parton, who's now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, did a cover version of it. Yeah, I mean, what an honor, and what a great version. Uh, it was a super honor. She played it, she performed it live of it. On Jay Leno, and you know, we tried to do our best to let her know how appreciative we were. Uh, we sent her flowers and everything, but uh, yeah, we can't, we we can't, you know, things like that that have happened in our career. We can't, uh, you can't really underemphasize how important those those moments are, and and um, and how you know how honored we are that somebody like Dolly Parton would grace, you know, her her vocals with with on a song like Shine. It's an amazing track. Well, for the second track, it's time for me to talk to you bass player to bass player here, because this one is a selfish pick of mine, but the bass line in this song is such an absolute monster, in my opinion. It's a perfect second track of the night song, and that is the title track from 1997's Disciplined Breakdown. Can you talk about how this song came together? Because I know there was some turmoil happening with management at the time. And then more importantly, how did that baseline drum sequence come together where it just kind of strips it all down to you and drums and vocals? Because that is so powerful in that song, in my opinion. Thanks, buddy. And I'm glad you chose that one because it, it that was definitely a moment where I thought, okay, you know, we were super proud of the second record, but I was like, we had backed down to a log cabin in the middle of the woods near where we grew up in McDonough, Georgia. We were locked into a lawsuit with our first manager. Atlantic Records couldn't give us any money. They couldn't. Everything was locked. They couldn't. Um, I think even in theory, we couldn't even start planning to release a record. So we did it on our own. There was no way you were going to stop 
the creative flow that we were going to keep coming at. So we, we rented a log cabin. We, we stripped out carpet. There's drums in the kitchen and it's me and Ed and Shane in the kitchen. We're developing that groove. And, um, I remember being super proud of it. I remember being, okay, Shane's playing on rods and, uh, it was a moment where, you know, I, I don't know how much people know about the story also about how often I'd played bass at that point. You know, I joined Collective Soul because they were my best friends and I felt the music. I felt Ed's music. We all grew up together and I told him I would play bass. And that was right before we got signed. So by the time 97 rolled around, we're in a lawsuit. We don't really have a lot of money. I'm, I'm driving um, my grandfather's Cadillac Coupe DeVille two-door. But we're confident. When I look back, we were still confident. We we're like, okay, bumping the road. It's not over. We're still stuck in this cabin, but we're going to make music. And discipline breakdown. Now you're hearing under you're understanding what it, exactly it was. It was a discipline breakdown. We were broke down, but as a band, we weren't broke down. As creators, we weren't broke down. We figured out a way to get into there and make some stuff. So the moment that I felt like that song and that groove, the bass line, uh, I remember thinking, okay, I think I'm kind of getting close to being a decent bass player now. And and you mentioned the groove with me and Shane. Uh, you know, there's something special in the sauce. Me and Shane were as tight as rope and we, we found a groove. We found a pocket on that song and, uh, became the title track. And, 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 and like I said, there's a story behind the title track. It was, we were broke down, but we were staying on track, you know, got to stay on track. Well, as a massive fan of this track, it's only sporadically been a part of the band's live shows. I'm wondering that considering there's an expanded edition of Discipline Breakdown that came out in 2022, is there any chance that this song might make its way back into the live rotation? You know, uh, I don't know. Let's keep talking about it. Keep throwing that out there in the universe. I, um, <laughs> me and Johnny, our drummer, me and Johnny Rab, uh, Johnny's been with us barely over 10 years now. And he's, he's uh, me and him are as tight as rope as well. But uh, we did our due diligence for you during the uh, rehearsals, and we we brought out Discipline Breakdown, and we jammed it a number of times. It just just didn't catch fire with the rest of the band. So maybe next time. Maybe All next right. time. All right. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. 
Well, the next song I'd like to jump ahead to is Them Blues from 2019's Blood. This song has such a unique vibe going on. And again, another bass player moment here. The call and response that you and Ed are doing between the piano and your bass line. To me, it has this, I don't even want to say three dog night, but it has this seventies vibe going on to it, but it still is a distinctly modern collective soul track. And I'd love to know how the band could so effortlessly shift (laughs) vibes from song to song when writing and recording, but still manage to keep that collective soul sound locked in. You know, it's a, it's a good question. I'll, I'll start with recognizing that song, them blues. I knew Okay, Ed came in with the piano and the the original idea of the song, and I was I was blown away personally from a creative standpoint. I was like, okay, I love it. Turned out to be to me, it stands out. It's really hard to rank songs. It's really hard to rank albums, you know. But to me, that one stands out. Them blues is just one of the most. It's just one of the moments in our creative past, and I would I would say Discipline Breakdown the same way. But that one really stands out creatively. Our influences. We just open our ears, we open our hearts and our mind, and we just use all of our influences that are around us, and we create by feel. Yeah, I think if we had to write down in a book how to bring in so many different influences and still sound like yourself, I, I don't know if there's a technical way to do that, but it's something we've always been able to do. You know, Collective Soul, uh, every record, there's no record that has one type of songs. And that's just one of our MOs, man. That's, that's how we operate. We bring all our influences to the, to the table. We throw it in a pot and it's like a, you know, we try to make a really good vegetable soup out of it, you know, and and we'll see which parts you like better. But, uh, I'm super proud of them blues. I'm glad you picked that song. I am really proud of that. I'm proud of the vibe and it's us. I mean, it is us. So yeah, appreciate it, man. And then another song I would just bounce off of that one with is better now from youth because in that song you incorporated a horn section and then took it a step farther on the home DVD when you did an entire performance with the Atlanta Symphony Youth Orchestra. That That is incorporating a style that you normally wouldn't think about with Collective Soul, but it works seamlessly. It feels like any Collective Soul song, but sometimes when you add horns into a rock band, sometimes it'll do a disservice, but with this, it elevated the song. Yeah, I mean, again, influences, you know, I mean, David Bowie, you know, he wouldn't, again, like how many different songs and styles would a guy like David Bowie have, you know? I mean, those those are our heroes, um, the Beatles, um, you know, how many different styles did Paul McCartney have? Oh, my God, he had, mm-hmm. he had four different vocal styles he'd sing, <laughs> much yeah, less exactly. the song, you know? <laughs> so it's just it's just a culmination of our influences, and better now specifically, that one that one's right off the top of Ed's noggin. I mean, he's like, I want a sax solo, and I'm like, that sounds weird, but sure enough, man, by the time he got it all done, him and Dexter Green in Nashville, I listened to the song and first time through, I was like, I think that's the first single. And sure enough, it was. Hell yeah. Well, being you're talking about influences now, let's stick with that for a second. Something I've talked about for years as a podcaster is the fact that the Cars self-titled album is my favorite album of all time. And in the band's catalog, Candio and Heartbeat City are tied for the number two spot, depending on my mood for that day. Okay. So I guess it'll be no surprise that my next choice is Collective Souls seemingly nod to the band, The Cars. <laughs> I know where you're that going. Be, yep. 2008's Afterwards in the track Hollywood. 
Can you maybe talk about one, if I'm hitting that car's reference on the head there? And if so, where the cars sit in collective souls, history or fandom and kind of why that influence kind of came out in that song. Yeah. I mean, they were definitely a big influence. Um, they were a massive influence on Ed. Ed went to Berkeley first year out of high school. He just loved Boston. He loved Rico Kasich and the cars. And yeah, I mean, I, I think we might've even mentioned it to people in the day. I mean, Hollywood sonically and a little bit of, of what we use uh, sound wise was definitely a direct tip of the hat to the cars. So that's, that's that. I love the song. American Idol picked it up. Who would have thought? You know? It's one of my favorites from the band, as well as another song off of blood, which is right as rain because Ed said the song is a nod to one of my favorite artists of all time, Tom Petty. Right. When you guys are working on new material, because obviously Hollywood and Right as Rain are distinctly collective soul songs, but you're bringing in what you grew up with and, and the songs that you like. It's really nice to hear those nods in an album. Is that something that you guys set out to do? Or is it something that when you're in the room working on a song, you're going, man, I'm catching this vibe here. Let's keep running with this. Yeah, both. And and I think the bulk of the song, you know, look, I mean, it's Western harmony. You got 12 notes. You got a melody. You got words. We got the English dictionary. Everything in some form or fashion has slightly been done before. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not, um, you know, we're kind of like putting uh, what's the what's the quote about, uh, you know, we're not we're not making a new tire. We're just retreading the tire. So it's OK to like have a song and go. Oh, this song, the acoustic sound, let's make this acoustic sound as close as we can to Mr. Tom Petty and stick it out. And let's listen to some of those Petty productions and maybe pull a few of those production tricks or not necessarily tricks, but production aspects of, of some Petty songs and pull them right into our song so that, you know, that's kind of the thought process. You know, we're not, we're not sitting here, you know, we, we want to be original. We want to be true to ourselves and we want to sound like us. But when you when you look at an influence like the Cars or Tom Petty, it's totally just pretty easy for us to go. Let's do some let's do some keyboard sounds like the Cars in Hollywood, and let's let's make that acoustic sound as much. We can't make it sound like Tom's right hand and Jeff Lynn producing or whoever else is going on, but we can we can try. And and that's our that's our tip of the cap to the people who are our heroes. Excellent, excellent. Well, with the tip of the cap. I am a big cover song nerd. I've been playing covers for years. I love when I hear a new song, kind of learning how to play it. And there's not a ton of covers in Collective Souls discography. However, for the Half and Half EP, you recorded a cover of one of my personal favorite REM songs, being the one I love. Being a big REM fan as well, there's a ton of songs you guys could have chose from. What made you settle on that one? Uh, I don't know. We're big fans too. You know what I think? And we didn't really talk about it. We just thought, you know, we'll honestly step one on deciding what cover tunes is what fits best with us. Like if we we'll run through a song really more than likely, we probably only run through a song one time and we kind of know if it's going to capture the best elements of us or not, or maybe it's not quite in our, in our wheelhouse. But, um, outside of us knowing that we could capture a great vibe on that song, I think that record REM number five, is that right? Document, REM document. That was the name yes. of the record. Yes, yes. Um, 
being from Georgia, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we were already fans of Radio Free Europe. We were already fans of a record called Life's Rich Pageant. But they were, it was still independent, independent-y, uh, college-y, college radio. And we were fans. When that record broke and it broke national, we were really proud. And we were in high school. Ed was out of high school, but we were in high school. And we were proud of a band from Athens, Georgia that broke nationally without being a Southern rock band or a soul band. I mean, we knew Georgia had, we knew the history with Otis Redding, James Brown, Ray Charles, Allman Brothers, the country, all the country acts, Alan Jackson, Travis Tripp. We knew all that history. Atlanta rhythm section going back to the seventies, mm -hmm. but nobody that was alternative, which is what we were listening to. Nobody was looking down at Georgia. And when REM did that, I remember an extreme feeling of pride for, uh, for my Georgia musician mates. And, uh, and I think that's probably one of the reasons we, we liked that era of REM. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the next collective soul track I want to talk about is heavy from 1999's dosage. Just a killer riff and a classic track that remains in the band's live repertoire to this day. I asked listeners to chime in with some of their favorite collective soul songs, and this one was near the top. So where does this song sit with the band in terms of its longevity and inclusions in most live shows since the song was released? Yeah, I guess I guess that's what you call a banger these days. Is that the new term <laughs> I've been using for the last yes, four it or five is. years? With that and a bop, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like banger. It's a banger, man. Uh, I remember that one too. Uh, Dosage, Dosage was kind of that record that really it was our fourth record, and it really kind of solidified for me that era of collective soul, solidified the Atlantic years. But that song, I felt it from the very beginning. It was it started off it started off with drums and bass, and Ed came running in the room and and started a guitar riff, and and next thing you know, we're we're going into a chorus, and that's kind of how that song happened, and it was. Uh, it's a big single for us, and it, it, it's hard to imagine a live show that we're not going to play that song. Agreed. Along with this next one, because, again, I did reach out to listeners, and they chimed in with their favorites, and this one was the most chimed-in song, so I wanted to add it into our discussion today, and that would be The World I Know from the 1995 self-titled Collective Soul album, The Love Song to New York City. Can you talk about why you feel that this song has such longevity with fans some nearly 30 years later? Yeah, it, it, there's a sentiment in that song that just rings true with a lot of people. You know, it, it's, it's just one of those songs that presents a lot of questions, right? And, and those questions are, it's great at, at writing lyrics that can be used for anybody's perspective. So yeah, it presents a lot of questions that all of us have at certain point in times in our life. And it doesn't doesn't present answers, but it's you know the the culmination is just you know it's it's just the world you know it's just the world we know. So I think it's just one that resonates because it's real simple for anybody to hear those lyrics and go, I get that. I, that from my perspective, I get that. I've got some of those same questions, and um, and then of course, yeah, the vibe of the tune. We we captured the vibe of the tune, and uh, and it still lives on. This, that one will go on. For a while, I'm sure. As will my pick from the 1995 self-titled album, and that will be the song Gel. That song was featured on the soundtrack to the 1995 film The Jerky Boys. And while the movie wasn't a massive hit, the song certainly was. And I have the soundtrack as well. And I love hearing the Collective Soul track amongst that mix of songs. 
Can you talk about how you guys became involved? Because again, you guys are based out of Atlanta, Georgia. This is the Jerky Boys, which are a New York, New Jersey prank phone call duo that are somehow catapulting into cult stardom enough to make a movie. It's that whole story is in and of itself amazing, but I'd love to hear how you guys got involved with them for the soundtrack. Um, and they're getting a little bit of a, the Jerky Boys are, I felt a little bit of a resurgence and people talking about them recently, but you know, that was probably almost all through Atlantic records out of New York. And we had the opportunity to get on uh, you know, a, a cool little soundtrack to bridge the gap between the first record and the second record. So that, that soundtrack came out right before the second record, but we knew Jill was going to be included into the second record. Man, you know, I remember recording that song in Chicago. We were on the road on that first record, and we would, we, if we had a day off, we would stop and record. And we had to record Jill a little earlier than the rest of the uh, second record, the self-titled record, because we had to make a deadline for a soundtrack. So it was... Um, I am not, I am not uh, stretching the truth when I tell you we were in the studio. I don't think we were there two days. We recorded that song in one day. Wow. Might've been a day and a half. We might've spent a, we might've had a second day where we got like a half day in there. But, um, you know, we had one record and we had just been touring on that in 94. So if you do get a chance to listen to any bootlegs from 94, you'll hear us play about seven or eight tunes that weren't recorded. And a couple of those would have been songs that you'll hear on the second record a song called untitled we played on oh, tour yeah. in 94 love uh, that we one played, we played gel on tour in 94 we played simple a version of simple i believe on tour in 94 so it made it since we've been playing it live a lot it made it easy enough to go right in the studio and knock it out awesome. but yeah it's funny that it's, it's it gets associated with jerky boys who are pranksters and uh ed's writing lyrics about uh all humanity coming together. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a yin and yang moment happening there. Now, the band is no stranger to soundtracks because besides Jell being on the Jerky Boy soundtrack, Run was featured on Varsity Blues. She Said was featured on the Scream 2 soundtrack. And then Tremble for My Beloved was featured on the Twilight soundtrack nine years after the song's initial release. While it's safe to say that soundtracks open up the band's music to new audiences, in the case of Tremble, is it safe to say that it introduced the band's music to a new generation of music fans as well for you guys? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And Twilight was barely in the era where people were actually buying CDs still and listening to the CDs beginning to end. We were number three or number four track on... When you look at sales, I think that in this day still oversold sold over two million the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So we uh, ten years later, that song was part of the soundtrack of a generation. It was uh, the early two thousands. It was their Footloose to the eighties. It was their singles to the nineties. You know, the soundtrack of a generation. I, I would say the single soundtrack is kind of my generation's kind oh, of yeah. soundtrack. Agree. Unless you go back to the eighties and then you got some other ones. Like I said, there's, there's Footloose and, uh, there's a few other ones that were just big, big soundtracks beginning to end. But, um, yeah, it became a soundtrack to a generation. And, uh, it was a song we recorded 10 years prior and it's in the movie. So yeah, for us, Twilight, I was having this discussion with some music podcaster friends and we were talking about the fact, when was the last soundtrack that became an event 
as a group of songs because around that time was the pivot to streaming where people would That's just last go one. find. I feel like Twilight was kind of the, the, last, the last big one. soundtrack. That's a question I've kind of thought about as well. And it, if my answer is Twilight, that's the last one. Well, unfortunately, we need to make that a thing again, because I feel like when you have a movie like Top Gun Maverick, you have one Lady Gaga song on there. You think about the original soundtrack's impact. Yeah. They could have certainly gone a lot more than just the score and the one song. And that brings up another. I mean, a, a, the Star is Born soundtrack was good as well, but still yep, not yep. quite like a, a collection of different artists. Yes. Type soundtrack. Yeah, The Greatest Showman was a fantastic soundtrack, but that was a musical. So that's a little bit of a different vibe. Doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So the last Collective Soul song that I have on my mix for tonight is the track Perfect Day from 2000's Blender. This song is an infectious pop rock delight with a feature from an artist listeners on the show may be familiar with. Some guy named Elton John or something. Maybe you heard of him. Joking aside, what was it like working with him on this song? And what do you feel his inclusion brought to the track on a musical level? Because this is somebody who is a musical icon for decades, generations. He's a master. He's an absolute master. Uh, what I feel like he bought, he bought Elton John. I mean, <laughs> what else needs to be said? Just great ideas and vision by Ed. He's like, because Elton John had befriended us. Elton had for the longest time, spent a lot of time in Atlanta. So he befriended us. He was a fan of Collective Soul. So we had been, you know, one degree away from him, uh, seeing him here and there for a couple years. And then, you know, Ed's always thinking, he's like, okay, friends with Elton, I'm going to game to record on a Collective Soul song. So Perfect Day was the one. And um, we had him in the studio with us. What, what a treat. What a great guy. I can't tell you what it means to be able to watch Elton John in the studio uh, we were actually in a big warehouse we had set up our own gear so it wasn't like iso rooms i remember standing behind him watching him play you know and he's got these really small fingers and stuff but he, he dances on the piano it's really it's kind of amazing and then his vocal in the second verse it just pops the piano part pops uh, uh i love the songs you chose man that's that's that belongs uh, again that's that's an asterisk to me in our career not necessarily all because of Elton, but the song, the way the song pops, you serve the song and Elton served the song that day. Collective soul served the song that day. And, and it was, uh, dare I say it was a perfect day. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Well, talking about serving the song, I also want to bring up your 2018 solo album, Serengeti drivers, because I am a big fan of that album as well. And I want to talk about two of the songs from that album, if you don't mind, because I feel like, they're the songs that stick out to me the most, and they're the ones that resonate with me, and I've always been curious about them. The opening track, Demons, is an absolute jam. And then halfway through the album, you have a song like Belong that, and I promise you, I mean this as a compliment. I'm a huge jam band fan outside of rock music. Yeah. It's, it it's, has this Fish slash Umphreys McGee funky rock vibe. The entire album to me is a convertible top-down road trip drive album, but can you talk about how this came together for you and more importantly, how you decide what songs you want to explore as Will Turpin, the artist, versus which songs you'd like to bring to the Collective Soul Camp? Yeah, I think, uh, well, yeah, thanks, man. So I appreciate all that. Uh, 
And that was my first full length CD. Hopefully I get to work on another one. I've been busy in the studio a lot here. Uh, real to real in Atlanta, Georgia, come see me. But, uh, yeah, demons, demons is kind of, uh, it's that simple. It's a simple story where everybody, you know, supposedly you got like these two, you know, you got the yin and yang in life, right? You got a, mm-hmm. a an angel on one shoulder and a little, little devil on the other shoulder. And you, you hear these, you get to play between them. And, uh, and I was kind of just playing on the, on the term, I got to get rid of my demons, you know, I got, and I was trying to be opposite. I was like, huh, as long as I can learn when to go out with my demons and when to leave them at home, I kind of <laughs> like my demons. And that's, that's kind of what that song's about. Yeah. When my demons all have gone, I don't want to be here to go it alone. If I can't hear the angel song, I don't want to go there. So it's to leave it alone. So I, I kind of, I was just trying to say that, uh, I like the dichotomy. I like it both. And, um, you know, a little bit of a little bit of a love affair with my uh, my association with with certain recreational drug that's legal in half states now too. <laughs> a little double entendre there too. So, so that's what demons is about, yeah. And belong just a really funky baseline that uh, Mark Wilson started. So Mark Wilson played probably a little over half of the baselines on my record, uh, and we just got funky on it, man. And I let it go, man. I was like, you know, I'm not going to try to over edit this song. I'm going to let it go, man. It ends up being almost a six minute tune. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Six awesome minutes. Now on a little bit of a sadder topic, something that you and I talked about a couple of years ago on tune styles, when you were on with Jay and I, we talked a lot about your tour with Van Halen in the nineties. Now, obviously Eddie passed back in October of 2020. We have not talked since then. I'm very curious because you had such a personal connection with them over the life of that tour, how that whole situation impacted you, because just as a fan from the outside, I'm still devastated from, and I'm not trying to bring the interview down. I'm trying to think of a way to, to celebrate this man's life because he did so much for the music world. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on that because you got to spend some real quality time with him for a long period, which is different for me just spending time with him at the record level or at the CD level. Yeah. He was special. Everybody knows how special and um, innovative he was as a musician, not even just a guitarist. Everybody knows also how innovative he was as a guitar maker. He could Mm -hmm. build guitars that were amongst the best. He could design and build guitars. Yeah. A lot of people don't get the chance to know how, special of a human he was uh, on a person to person level 95 i'd have been 24 years old and we we did you know over three months and covered every arena in north america with those guys and i tell you man it wasn't it wasn't a week into the tour eddie van halen's walking around with you with his arm around you talking to you about music and yeah he he, he elevated us as a band sammy as well michael anthony as well Alex is always off doing his own thing, but those guys couldn't have meant more to us. Uh, and Eddie, Eddie was, uh, he was always thinking about how I can help those guys. What can I do? Or if he wasn't trying to help us, he really just wanted to talk to us about music. He loved talking all the time and it was always about music or instruments, which is why he gave me, uh, that the five string all black music man bass. He gave that to me because we were talking about basses. And I told him the next one I want is, is going to be all black. 
you know. And of course, he went. About three weeks later, I had an all black music man five string bass in, in my oh. dressing room. You know? <laughs> but um, man, they they touched our lives in ways we can't even describe. Awesome, amazing, amazing. So now I've talked about a ton of collective soul songs tonight and picked all the ones that I liked and talked about ones that listeners of the show liked. But this would not be a collective soul mixtape without getting somebody from the band to put their stamp on it. So, Will, I'm going to propose this question to you. If you had to pick three songs from the band's catalog that best tell the story of your musical legacy across all these decades, what three songs would you choose and why? Uh, well, you named some good ones. Um, well, that's a tough one. Uh, well, you know, it, if you're telling the story of the legacy, you might have already mentioned three of them that I would use. You know, Sean has to be in the legacy. It's what got us on the map. And it's it sounds so different and it sounded so different than anything that was around at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it it made a mark that was... You know, that was, it, it was not going to be, it was not going to be overlooked. Um, so Sean is definitely there. Um, I'm trying not to use your songs, but the song Discipline Breakdown, we were in a, we I don't, again, I don't know how we were, we were a team. I don't know how we were so confident, but <laughs> we were making, I mean, Atlantic Records had to keep giving us a minimum of 150 bucks a week. And we were in a lawsuit and we weren't scared. We wanted to go create music and, and we kept doing it on a shoestring budget. And the record is, 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 uh, to me, to me, it stands out when I listen to it, I can tell what we were going through. Um, and it's just all in there. All the, all the things that we were going through, it's all in that record. And, and that's the title cut from the, from the record and, and his, and his growth as a musician. I mentioned that as well. By the time I'm playing that bass riff and I, and I, been playing bass now for about three years or so at that point i'm like okay i'm I'm, i can almost call myself a bass player now (laughs) so so discipline breakdown and then uh you know the last one uh man i don't know i mean perfect days got elton john on it what what a mark that was but to me i mean maybe something off of the record we just recorded but nobody's heard it but to me artistically the high water mark for me as an individual was them blues. Uh, so you pick that one right out of the, right out of my head. Something about that song raised the watermark for me. And it was something I felt like I got to explore with my buddies, uh, another space that we hadn't really been to yet. Uh, so I guess that that's, that's my three. And for those reasons, that's the bass player ESP we've got going here, I guess. <laughs> you were definitely choosing some strong bass songs. Yeah, that's unfortunately where my mind automatically goes, which is why I love having bass players on because I really resonate with the instrument. So now I'm going to be news Brian here because you said something and I and I have to jump on this. The band released Vibrating back in 2022, and it has been known that the band has released albums in subsequent years back to back. You said something about a new album that no one's heard yet. Do you care to spill any details of what we might expect coming this year? Yeah, there, there, there will be a record out at the end of the summer. Uh, and it's, I think it's the one we're, we're currently working on, which one or what, what we're going to release and when. But uh, we did a record during the pandemic and, um, it's kind of 
been just side shelf because we weren't sure what to do with it. And uh, I think that's coming out this summer. And we also just got back from Palm Springs. We were in Palm Springs for an entire month, uh, recorded at Elvis's old house, old Palm oh. Springs house. We had an opportunity through a friend of a friend uh, to bring in all the recording gear. And we lived in Palm Springs for a month. Found another plateau of uh, of creativity and, and knocked out another great record. We know for sure that record will be out uh, spring next year. You might, within the next 15, 18 months, you might see two Collective Soul records. You probably will see two Collective Soul records. Oh, hell yeah. I can't wait. And the quintessential documentary. Keep your ear out. Uh, we are midway through production right now. I think next year. You'll see it on one of your well-known streaming services. So keep an eye out for that, man. We certainly will. And when those albums come out, I hope to be able to have you back on, Will, to talk about them. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on My Weekly Mixtape. You got it, Brian. Cheers. Thank you, buddy. Remember, if you'd like to listen to all the songs we've been discussing on this episode, head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com, visit the Ultimate Songs of Collective Soul page, and give the tracks a listen via the embedded playlist. You can also find My Weekly Mixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at MyWeeklyMixtape. And you can head to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to check out the full catalog of My Weekly Mixtape episodes. If you want to support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, enjoy the tunes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.